All right, are we in? Uh, I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Wow, great. Sweet. <laughs> took us a while, but we got it. It did. This is uh, the new stage of our podcast. Uh, here we are, the, coming from the, uh, the the quarantine rooms of coronavirus in our respective homes. We are trying to discover new and awesome ways to record this and to do so even remotely. And I think we figured it out. So, hi, Mick. How's it going? It's going well. Like I said, other than the technical challenges, I, I think we've uh, we've overcome one hurdle. Wow. Okay, great. Well, we are in Ecclesiastes 4 and 5 tonight, and uh, this is uh, this is a groundbreaking time for us. We're trying this remotely. We're going to make this happen. And uh, let me just open up with a word of prayer. God, I thank you for this evening. I thank you that this finally is working and that uh, this is, is, is able to be recorded as we study your word. And I just pray that we're challenged and encouraged tonight. And that uh, all those listening to this podcast, Lord, will be challenged and encouraged as well as they go through whatever they're going through. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, tonight's, tonight's uh, session is called Community. And I wanted to open with, um, with an opening question here. How do you view the Bible? And I kind of came up with three different ways to do it. The first one is uh, the secular academic, which would kind of look at the Bible as because, you know, for the secular academic, the Bible can't be God's word. So, you know, it just allows me to research about the past. Maybe I can figure out what past generations were like. And then you've got the religious person who might look at this and say, well, this is God's book. So I want to know how to have the best possible life. And I think that I need to know the best about the future I can. So that's it. The Bible allows me to research about the future. And then you got a third option, which I would encourage us to be our option. The Bible encourages encourages and challenges me about living life right now. Mick, what do you think Kohelet would say? Uh, Well, (laughs) I think Kohelet would agree with that last one. I mean, and a lot of it, you know, when you think about it, a lot of it it has to do with our starting assumptions. And one of the problems with the secularists is that their problem is I, I can't believe this because I just don't believe in the supernatural. So if you dismiss the supernatural and you're not open to, to what the Bible is actually saying, what the Bible is recording. Yeah. You're going to have a problem with this. Hmm. So if we take that third option, the Bible encourages and challenges me about, about living life right now, that Mm -hmm. the question. So that's an opening question. Number two. So how should you live life right now? And option one is uh, self-fulfillment, self-sufficiency, and even in a Christian sense, you'll find Christians that are very, very concerned. And I was like this for, I would say, a lot of my life, because we, we hear this in churches all the time, get right with God. Have you gotten right with God? Do you have peace with God? And self-fulfillment, self-sufficiency, and relationship between the self and the God. And churches, churches do this, too. I know our church wants you know to connect people with God, but if it stops there... Is it enough? And so option two is focused on a right, a right relationship with God and your neighbors. And then the love of God correctly leads to the love of neighbors correctly. And so if you're loving God correctly, you're going to love your neighbors correctly. Can we just live in a silo, Mick? If we just to live the to live the life that God wants us to live right now, are we allowed just to just focus on the self? Uh, no, uh, I'm not at all comfortable with any self statement other than selfless. Um, which is actually denying of self. 
I love um, it. The problem with self-fulfillment and self-sufficiency is that they reek of humanism, mm. um, modernist and postmodern thinking, which I think uh, that somehow, you know, that, and that's the idea that somehow we've outgrown the usefulness of God and, and that, that couldn't be further from the truth. Mm. So we, we got, Kohela's going to present to us um, something that I swear that Jesus must have had on well on his mind in Matthew chapter six. We'll get to that at the end. But we wait, have, wait, Joel, are you telling me that this sounds like the New Testament? There, it, it sure does. <laughs> I love, I love, I, lo- I love the fact that uh, this this book in the armpit of the Old Testament that hardly anyone knows about it seems like, except for a, a 1960s song, is so yeah. is so applicable. But he's going to present us two options of our worship today, and the first option. Mm-hmm seems to be very selfish and the second option seems to be very selfless or at least others focused so we'll start here with mm-hmm. uh, uh verses one to three we're in chapter four we're going to end up in chapter five tonight uh this first subject is called oppression so one to three again i looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun i saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter power was on the side of their their oppressors and they have no comforter and i declared that the dead who had already died, are happier than the living, who are still alive. But better, but better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not never seen the evil that is done under the sun. So uh, I have here a verse from Leviticus 19. Do, do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of the hired worker overnight. Number one, the, the Bible defines oppression as accumulating with no regard for the rights of others. And uh, number two there, how you see people is how you will want to treat people. Mick, I, I tend to call this the, um, uh, the, the, the waitress theology, kind of how you treat the, the, the ones who are serving you your food or the, how you treat people that you think are beneath you or that are serving you mm-hmm. kind of says a lot about you, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it does. Um, th- that's, um, you know, one of the things, and I guess, you know, for being in, in Christianity, as long as we have, one of the biggest things that, that always comes to my mind is that everybody is an image bearer of God, mm. you know, and that's one of the things that constantly plagues in my mind. So if I ever get that air of superiority at a restaurant towards a waiter, waiter or waitress, uh, that quickly goes away. In fact, I, I usually have to kind of shy the people at my tables, like, come on, just give them a break, you know? Mm. Yeah. So accumulating things or maybe cheating others to, to get your way. I, I know, uh, the idea of like, I'm going to just, I'm going to try to climb society's ladder. But when I try to climb reaching after somebody else, I might be stepping on someone along the way. And mm-hmm. oppression is never right. And it's never godly. And it's never what God wants. And for some reason, and for a right reason, it's really grieving the heck out of Kohela theory. And he's, mm-hmm. he goes to the point that's like, you know what, the dead don't have to face oppression anymore. And the one who's never been born never had to face the oppression. And so they're in a, a superior spot because otherwise seeing people just take advantage of other people and to see it possibly happen in the name of God, that sounds like one of the worst possible things. Yeah. And uh, he's, he's, he's calling this just uh, something that is, is horrible uh, under the sun. And uh, so it sounds like we just can't treat people any way we want. And ends don't justify means or well let's go to the heart verses four to six and i saw that all the toil and all the achievement spring from one person's envy of another 
This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful of tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. He gets kind of a fortune cookie-esque here, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. How you pursue your goals reveals your heart regarding other people. Yeah, go- goals are great, but they're really great to be set. It's good to be focused in your life and driven. Being driven is not a bad thing, but wow. Um, how you would seek to pursue and achieve things, if you're doing it on the backs of others, if you're oppressing others just to meet a standard or meet some kind of a goal, I think you're missing the point. And both the wise and the fool seek something at the expense of something else. Mm-hmm. We got the one guy who's folding his hands, who so he's just not working at all. And uh, Kohelet doesn't like that. And the second guy seems to be uh, working on the backs of others. So it'd be better to have one hand of tranquility instead of both hands. What do you think about those verses, Mick? What do they, what do they say about your heart? Well, um, there's a lot of things as I was reading this that came to my mind. And um, one of the things, I mean, going back a little bit to even the verses one through three, is just that um, about just the oppression itself, that strictly speaking, I mean, he's being brutally honest here. Let's face it, in, in life, more often than not, Goliath beats David, mm. uh, whether it's the state or the, or the corporation. You know, my, my, right now I'm dealing with issues at work where there's people who are secure, you know, the higher ups in their positions during this coronavirus time while there's a lot of people who who stand to lose their jobs my department might lose their job even though i might be sheltered and safe and i don't like that um and you know and i also think about it brought to mind shidrach meshach and abednego you know they would have ended up crispy critters Hmm. you know as far as they were concerned they were going to end up crispy critters they weren't expecting god to really deliver them but but he did you know they still trusted in him whether god delivered them in this life or not so there's a lot of to be said about oppression here and, and i also think that you know with, with him starting the conversation on oppression uh he really hits it in verse four and you know he brought to mind uh, leviticus 23 22 where he where he's talking about don't hog everything leave something for the other person don't be greedy i'm giving you more than enough have a heart of generosity for the poor and obviously the poor being those who, who don't have the resources to their, to their disposition you know yeah, so there's a lot of that going on here. Um, there's a lot of that I, going I, on right now. I mean, with, with, yeah. we're all we're all stuck in our homes, and every time we go shopping, we're buying 92 rolls of toilet paper because yep. <laughs> no one else gets anything. <laughs> no, no, and I'm going to also add this: as far as that, it's not even really about it targeting the rich. It really is, is an indictment on the greed of human nature, mm. because you know the people that have. And the people that have not, the only real difference is the fact that one has and the other one has not. But have they had the had not had, they do the same thing too. So everybody in their nature is a would-be oppressor. That's so true. And it sounds like it brings us to a moment we can just pause. That uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it sounds like life spent striving is fundamentally anti-neighbor at heart. So if you mm-hmm. are, uh, if you are a striver then you most likely are anti-neighbor in your heart. So approach number one would be, I must get ahead of my neighbor to accomplish my goals. Approach, mm-hmm. number, approach number two is, I must live in community and harmony with my neighbor as my goal. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine if, if, if a great many of us lived like number two? Yeah. I mean, I wonder about the Christian faith and you go to certain countries around the world and the, your faith is, is 
is not at all something that's personal and private. I know here in America, we are very, especially with this Western mindset, our faith is something extremely private. We don't want to talk about it. And well, how do you like to worship? Well, that's a kind of a personal private thing. And I don't see that in the pages of scripture. I see yet you need to make a, uh, your decision is your decision to, to, you know, to make your decision to, uh, to honor God, you know, uh, but still it's, we get the sense and, and Joshua choose you this day. I mean, he's talking to the community there and, yeah, and it's like, there, there's something about honoring God as a body. And, yeah, and when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, or, or, you know, referencing Leviticus, when he says that he's expecting you to actually love your neighbor and not just give it lip service and say, well, I'm just going to have my faith between me and God and whatever happens outside of that. Well, you know what? God will take care of that. But this is between me and God. I don't think that's ever possible. Do you? No, no, not at all. Um, you know, the, the thing that comes to my mind is the airplane model. And what I mean by the airplane model is like when they talk about it, you know, when they drop the oxygen mask, you need to get the mask on yourself first mm. before you can help the person next to you. So the idea is, to get the mask mask on myself, it's not just so that, okay, there, I'm done, one and done. No, it's so that I can be ready to help somebody else out too. It, it, again, it, it is, like you said, it's a very communal thing mm-hmm. in that sense. So Kohela is going to join that idea here. He's going to be talking about um, this guy who's been striving so much that he just doesn't have anything anymore and uh, he's lonely and he says in 7 to 12, the two approaches of life. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. A miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And then the famous verse here, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So we've got the two, two, two approaches here. The first one seems to be like the driven, endlessly toiling person. He finds misery, loneliness, and separation. And uh, two, the, the cooperator who contributes to a rewarding life for himself and for his neighbor. Which of those two do you think Kohelef make is, is really uh, trying to promote there? Huh? Um, again, the one that looks out for his neighbor. <laughs> he keeps beating the same drum here, but but you got to understand that he, he's got this. Well, this is something we, we, we encountered in the very first session where he this guy seemed to have everything. And so he was able to search every avenue of life, whether it was pleasure or wisdom or achievement and all these yeah. things brought no satisfaction and he could not find any misery and depression. And here he is like this guy who's living for his work and living to achieve and doesn't matter what he has to do. He's going to achieve. There's no surprise. He's driven everybody away and he's alone. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is like the, 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 uh, this is like the under the underpinning of, of the Christmas carols. Ebenezer Scrooge. He had nobody. And uh, he was, I mean, he, he's worked and worked and worked and worked and didn't have any time for relationships or any, anything nurtured along the way. And he had to change everything. And so um, I, I think Kohelf is teaching us here that 
if you're just constantly about your, your, your goals and not about people, then you're not going to have a fulfilling life and you're going to, you're going to be really lonely and you're actually going to be at a disadvantage. Um, what do you th- what do you think about these, uh, these verses here, Mick, seven or 12? These two well, yeah, I mean, a lot of this, I always go back to Genesis with, with pretty much almost any theology in the Bible, but this one in particular, especially because when you think about it, I mean, right off the bat, God makes it clear, you know, when, when it re- recapitulates in chapter two, that, you know, Adams felt what life was like alone and he didn't really like it. And then God said, this is not good. The only time God says this is not good in those early chapters is the situation about Adam being alone. Mm. We were created to be interactive beings. We were created to be, again, in community. I don't like using communal a lot only because it seems to connote communism, but we are meant to be in a group. You know, we are meant to be in a group, you know, and, and that's one of the things. I mean, it, God has made that. I think that's that's a theme he's made clear from the beginning of the Bible. And like you said, throughout Scripture, New Testament, the body of the church, he doesn't really talk about us as individual Christians so much as as individuals in, in, in connection to, to a whole. Yeah, all those spiritual gifts in the New Testament are not meant for mm-hmm. individual use. They're about edifying or building up the body. Yeah. And, you know, I like Superman because he can do everything in one person. But ideally, if you want to talk about it from the Christian sense, it's in God's view, it's it's not about Superman. It's about the Justice League. Mm-hmm. He wants the team of the, of the people that, that can all do different things and they all bring different t- things to the team. Even Aquaman, who, who can only do things in the water. Well, but in, in order to, to have a team, you got to have people on a team that are teachable. So that's my segue to our next, mm-hmm. next section here, 13 to 16. Mm-hmm. Better report, and he's going to have two different guys here. And, and this is it's a little bit hard. The commentaries differ a bit. We, we seem to have a king person, and we have kind of like a, a poor younger guy. And uh, just, he, he kind of leans on two images here. But here we go. Better a poor but a wise, better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. The youth may have come up from prison to the kingship, or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw all, I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless. A chaser after the chasing after the wind. I kind of came up with here: poverty with wisdom is better than riches with foolishness. What do you think about that, Mick? Poverty with wisdom is better than riches with foolishness. Because most people wouldn't say poverty is better than riches. But yeah. if you're actually a wise person versus a foolish person, I wonder what Kohalik would value the most there. Yeah, no, I, I think we know that he, he he's he's going with the poverty with wisdom. Um, you know, but one of the things that, I, you know, as I was looking at that verse that stood out to me is that this old king actually knew, mm. you know. It was, and that's the thing. He let it become a thing of the past. He knew, but like you said, he stopped learning. And I think that's kind of a reminder to us: don't be like that. Don't stop learning. Don't become complacent. This, that's the problem with this king here. He also became complacent. Yeah. It also seemed to like to me as I was reading it. Again, keeping that Kohelet represents kind of a Solomon figure. It also kind of also brought to mind the imagery of David and Saul. How so? Well, David was this kind of, if you will, the poor youth, you know, came from rags to riches kind of story where Saul was 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 the, the, the king. And that's the thing. Saul was good in the beginning when he listened to God. 
when he when he when he 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 took counsel, if you will, from Samuel and God. But then he reached a point where he started doing his own thing, and then God said, "You know what? I'm going for the new guy." And then this is where that new youth, who's teachable, comes into play. Yeah, I think Solomon. Uh, Solomon. I, I think I think Samuel said something along the lines of, "Saul, you used to be small in your own eyes, but now you're not." Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, so that kind of leads us to the second idea here: um, inexperienced but teachable is better than experience and not teachable. So I wonder if you know if you were a boss and you were going to hire somebody, you got one guy that's got all the experience in the world, but he lets you know that he's got all the experience in the world. And they got the next guy who doesn't have all that experience, but he's just hungry and wants to learn. I think I'd take the second guy, wouldn't you? Uh, I, I can tell you firsthand that that's what we've done at work. Mm. You know, we've looked at the person who who looks like they're, they, they would fit in. Because we realize sometimes there's not a lot of room for advancement at work. And we could understand that sometimes people get kind of in an angsty position, you know. And, and yeah, from a very practical standpoint, we want the guy that's kind of willing to grow and learn with the company. Yeah, it's we we've got this staff value here at the bridge, always learning and never the expert, and so mm-hmm. being teachable, and you know having other people build into your decisions and helping you to grow, is such a huge thing. And uh, I've I've spent parts of my life in my pastoral career being the expert and thinking I knew what I knew, and then you go through a lot of humility and humbling, and because life will humble you, and um, yeah, I. You know, before we kind of change gears here to go to the second, the the, the second, because I've mentioned in the beginning here, there's really two options to our worship. You're either going to worship yourself and the things of this world, or you're going to worship something or something or someone else. And the transition we're going to do here is in the chapter five is is on to worship. But is there anything we want to say here, uh, especially about um, anything from one to 16 that we might have missed, Nick or Mick, Nick, Mick? Mick the Nick the Mick. I'm rhyming here. Do we do we see anything that we missed there, or anything else you want to add? These the, the chapter four. If we move on. No, I think we. we um, I think you've, you you hit it very well. We have to be humble, and I think that's that's at the root of being teachable is humility. If you think about it, mm. you can't be teachable if you're not humble. Pride's going to get in the way, and it's, and it just kind of recalls uh, Romans twelve three, where it says, uh, "Don't think of yourself more highly than you should." Have a proper perspective. It says to be sober-minded in your judgment about yourself. In other words, to not be humble is the death knell of growth. Well said. Well, we, we transition to chapter five here, and um, he's going to talk about worship. There was a praise song that has some of these. Uh, that was a number of years ago. They had uh, one of these verses here, but chapter five, guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know they do wrong. Mm. Do not be quick with your mouth. Don't be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And don't and, and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Must dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. So we got some ideas here. Our, our priorities in life reveal who or what we worship. 
certain people might say, well, I worship God, but, but yet you seem to worship everything else and you seem to serve everything else and you seem to prioritize everything else. And then you want to give worship to God as if he's the one. Um, number two, God is the focus and, and, and the self is not the focus. I like when he talks about how you, how you should go into worship. Basically, be quiet. You're, 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 you're going with two ears and uh, you're, you're going to listen. Uh, God's the focus and not the self. God's word, not my words. Um, more important for God to address us than to, for us to address God. I mean, anyone who wants to go to church and say, God, I got something I got to tell you. Uh, why don't we wait for God to talk to you? Uh, integrity in our worship of God is essential. Worship in spirit and in truth. You know, Jesus talks about this when he talks about you uh, in the Sermon on the Mount about vows. And vows seem to be a way for people to wiggle out of their commitments. They would they would make some some vow and they would, oh, I, I'm going to vow by the hairs of my head or I'm going to vow by Jerusalem or I'm going to vow by heaven. And uh, and they do it so they can try to wiggle off and try to be false and so they can get out of their commitments. And that's not truth. And that's not integrity. And have you ever seen that in the Christian world, Mick, of people who are trying to just play fast and loose with the truth to get what they want? Yeah, you know, one of the problems with me is I can't really bow the, the, the hair on my head anymore because uh, that one was already called out a long time ago for me. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, no, <laughs> it happens all the time, man. <laughs> it does. But, um, you know. I'm not big on vows for the same reason, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that I think Christians are a bit more uh, kind of careful about it, but they, they kind of slip into it uh, in subtle ways, you know? Yeah. I, I think this humility just, just extends to the worship service because if, if you're going, if mm -hmm. you're going to worship God and you're doing so all about yourself, not only are you missing the point, but you are, I wonder if you're in dangerous territory theologically there. It's like, I, I, I'm coming to church for me. And so many people, they look at their church and they treat it into a Burger King. They want, they want their way right away. And what have you done for me lately mm -hmm. kind of thing. And um, now all of a sudden, uh, a blessing of this coronavirus is that we're, we're, we're starting to see the real church. We're starting to see yeah. people without the building. And, and church isn't just a place you go. It's actually the people who are within. And how can we still be the church even though we can't go to a church and how yeah. can we i mean yeah we're, we're this kind of leads to a matthew 6 which is kind of summarizing this entire lesson tonight no one can serve two masters. wait joe how are you looking at my notes uh, what's that wait how are you looking at my notes is my camera feature on because <laughs> i got matthew 6 written on here too man <laughs> Nice. Yeah. I, I, yeah. No man can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. And then Jesus clears it up for us. You can't serve both God and money. And so mm -hmm. that is, those two approaches are all over our text tonight because the first guy is going to thrive. He's going to serve money to the point that he's going to get whatever he can get while he can get it. And it doesn't matter who he has to hurt. And, uh, well, uh, I, I put it on the worksheet here. One master commands denying the self and loving the neighbor. The second master applauds the love of the self and trampling the neighbor. 
So yeah. which one would, would Kohela say that you serve? So thinking about yourself, old listener, are you serving the things of this world? Are you serving what you can get? Are you serving the accomplishing of your goals come what may and whoever you got or hurt, it doesn't matter. Or are you denying yourself and actively loving your neighbor? Are you seeking to glorify God in your relationships or not? Cause you know what? Honestly, this world has had enough of itself. There's so many people out there that just live their life for themselves. You can see it. I mean, that's one of the, 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 the not so, good blessings or curses of social media. Everybody seems to be all about themselves all the time and putting their self out there the best they can. But what would be refreshing and, and, and new and wonderful is if a religion would exist that lives to actually love a neighbor and wants to see the best for a neighbor, not just the best for yourself. I, I just wonder if a faith exists that could do that. I mean, I wonder if Koheleth were to look at our church and our modern Christianity, would it say, yep, you're being like the king in my analogy, or no, you're actually being like the young guy in my analogy? Because you have the advantage, Christian, of Jesus saying, deny yourself. And Koheleth didn't even have that. All he had was fear God. What do you think about that, Mick? No, I mean, but the truth is they, they, they've always had you, you shall have no gods before me, which is basically the point of that, mm. you know, uh, not to to only have God as a worship. And, and, and just the first couple of commandments, you know, you shall have no idols. Mm. The idea of not having anything in the place of God or anything to compete with God, not that anything could rightfully do so in the first place, you know, but even, you know, just kind of even backtracking a little bit about worship and, and everything in you know, and going back to Matthew six, you know, part of the problems that Jesus was condemning was was a lot of the uh, things that were done for for showmanship. For instance, they, people weren't helping the needy. People were praying to be seen praying, so that people would say, "Wow, you're pious." People were were being very overt about the fact that they were fasting and things of that. You know, that kind of religious display that that God just really doesn't like. Which again, it's about putting the person. In, in front of God. And I mean, and, he, and when you look at verse two of chapter five, it's talking about God is above heaven and we are on earth. In other words, we're under the sun. And just even in, on a positional level, you see who's above who, but we like to act and we like to live like it's the other way around. Like we're on top of it and, and God's beneath us. And I, and I find that to be just really totally wrong. It's good stuff. I, I want, I want to close with this idea, this question for us to ponder how does our current situation with the coronavirus and the, the quarantine and the, the staying at home orders and I, how does all this illustrate this dichotomy of self-focus versus others focus? How, how, how is this coronavirus actually a good teaching example for us right now with how we are supposed to be? What do you think about that, Mick? Well, here's the thing. I mean, this was on the news, and I, I'm I'm more aware of this because Elder's working from home, so I'm seeing all the news clippings, you know, even when I'm trying not to see much. But, it, you know, in, even in Chicago, the fact that they have to impose this thing of a, of a police-enforced uh, uh, curfew because people are going en masse to the park. And it's kind of a, a very self-centered, very selfish thing to do 
when there's a lot of people who are practicing the quarantine, who are trying not to infect, you know, the cases are still going up. And again, why are they going up? Because people are being selfish. People are not taking this, the steps necessary. I mean, you know, think what you may. Sometimes you have to be a team player and cooperate with, with the people in, in charge of us. I mean, this is Romans chapter 13. You know, if I really if I really honor God and I'm going to obey what my government officials are telling me, you know, I mean, bottom line, God has to be the focus and not the self. Um, Jesus said it best in, in Luke 9, 23. He says, deny yourself. In other words, focus on God. That's what it means to deny yourself. Because Again, nature abhors a vacuum and something has to fill it. And that something has to be God. Um, so to deny yourself, you have to therefore focus on Jesus. And it's really Again, it's the only way to, to deny yourself. But I like the way Luke puts it versus like the other Gospels because he, he further goes on to say that you have to renew this commitment daily. Yeah. You got to keep God on the forefront daily. God can't be in your rear view. Right. And you're even getting that in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Mm -hmm. this, this dependence you ought to be showing upon God should be a daily thing. Yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing that more now than we probably ever did in our lives. Yeah. I mean, us Americans here. Yeah, it's funny. I've, I've been praying with a lot of people. You know, it's been going, uh, we as a church are just calling all of our people and just, you know, checking in with them, seeing how they're doing in the midst of this quarantine. And we offer to pray with them. And I find myself praying, you know, the Psalm 4610 to be still and know that I am God. You know, know that God is God. They've, they've been forced to be still. But also, I've just been, I found myself in my prayers being led to that 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 line in the Lord's Prayer, this daily dependence upon God, this idea of, of the daily bread. I just need to completely depend upon God every day, and that is new every single day. And I'll tell you what the coronavirus has taught me. It's it's led me to realize that if I'm a good neighbor, I'm not going to intentionally put my neighbor in danger by doing things that are not going to be healthy for my neighbor, or I'm not, I'm going to, um, I'm going to be taking certain precautions in order to love my neighbor and in, in order to, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's got, it's gotten America to actually start thinking about other people for once and not just about themselves. And yes, you have to focus on yourself to a degree. You have to take the precautions. You have to make the, the Again, choice. the airplane mask. Yeah. You, the oxygen mask and an airplane. Exactly. You, it, it, it's, it's a little bit of both there, but, but we've also, we've always, you know, the common way to grow up here in America is just focus on yourself. And for once we're actually starting to focus on other people so much so that we're worried about numbers and we're worried about our communities and we're worried about, you know, coming together to make this happen and to, and to, to work towards this goal. That's not just a selfish goal, but it's like a, a goal that's good for everybody. And, that's trying so that's like wanting to you can honor god but also do so by loving your neighbor and and, and prioritizing your neighbor and that's why it's not communism because communism doesn't prioritize the neighbor communism prioritizes something greater than all of you like some kind of a state or something like that this is mm -hmm. i need to prioritize someone else because and trust that yeah. other person might be prioritizing me and how we all together work towards this goal, which is not a selfish goal, but by definition, a selfless goal. Yeah. And I think, I think yeah. Helen would be right on target with that. And, yeah. and um, yeah, and I, I could see very easily um, 
somebody who's not being a team player with this acting more like an oppressor and wanting to take advantage of other people and, and wanting to just get, get and get and get. And then all of a sudden they're, they're alone. And, and, and the person who's living for his neighbor, you can see both, both approaches playing out, even in the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any closing words, Mick, before we wrap up tonight? Um, no, nah, I'm going to leave that up to you, big guy. <laughs> this has been Masterclass <laughs> Theology from Ecclesiastes 4 and 5. Thanks for letting us share. Amen, amen, and amen. And adios, right? <laughs> adios. <laughs>